Hello, Merry Breakfast to you all. Try and save some festive cheer from the jaws oh of politics. Oh my God, it's the music man. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> do you, are you going to do everybody? <laughs> and welcome to the music man. Um, welcome to the Galacticos edition of Romaniacs Live, a game of two halves, two hosts, six panellists, 451 unredacted pages, 50,000 nurses, two billion trees, <laughs> zero appearances from Mog, and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm Dorian Linsky, I'm your host for part one. Sadly, our Boris Johnson ice sculpture melted in storage, but I have three of the Romaniacs all-stars with me. She edits the LSE Brexit blog and possesses the most calming voice in Romaniacs, it's Roz Taylor. It feels like the ultimate goal of this election campaign is a week in which every single story is about the media and nobody talks about policies at all. Um, what have you found that, that we should have been hearing about but we haven't? Oh, well, I mean, everything, basically. Uh, everything except tactical voting, which I hear nothing but tactical voting and nothing about policy, which is inevitable, of course, because if you think too much about policy, then you might not want a tactical vote. So <laughs> it's difficult. It's awkward. Um, I, the big thing that... Actually, this is a bit wonkish. But So I read, I read Labour's manifesto from start to finish, and you know, because that's my, my job to do that. Has anybody read the Labour manifesto start to finish? Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's nice to be in that kind of company because I usually find myself not in that company. And anyway, so the, it's, a, it's a really radical manifesto. I mean, it's a sea change. It's a massive change. It's like rolling in the state again after the state's been rolled, been rolled back and rolling it in again. And so I really want to hear about what do people think about having a big state? You know, does it make them feel secure? Does it make them feel trapped? Does it make them feel... What, what does it make them feel? Uh, and, and do they like the idea? Uh, do, they, do they really think it's a good thing or not? And that kind of just surfaced a little bit when people started talking about the idea for a four-day week. And people were kind of, mm, don't like that. Which was interesting. Because, you know, logically, you would like four-day week. It's kind of less work, isn't it? But people don't like being told what to do, and they don't like being told there's a ceiling on how much they can earn and all that. So that was kind of an interesting thing that I wanted to hear more about. But is there a chance of hearing a discussion of the implications of the big state for Britain? No. No. <laughs> there is tonight. Um, she's a political commentator, disinformation expert, who's returned from maternity leave in our hour of need, Nina Schick. How does the miracle of new life compete with Brexit news? <laughs> I think my last few months actually haven't been too, dif uh, too different from anyone following politics. Just despair. <laughs> Wondering what the fuck is happening. Uh, dealing with one shit bomb after the other. So I see a lot of commonality between new motherhood and following Brexit. Um, we've seen a shameless campaign from the Tories with their phony fact-check UK alias, doctored video clips, anonymous, <coughs> it's always Dominic Cummings, threats <laughs> to put Channel 4 under heavy manners. Is this the future of, of electioneering now? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is here to stay. But what's also interesting to think about is that the way that they're running this election is actually having the effect that they want it to have on us because we're so outraged by the fake fact check that that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about their policy or lack of policy. So I think it's very much Schrodinger's cat being thrown on the table. The same thing that Boris did when he talked about 
you know, what he liked to do in his spare time was paint red buses. So I, th I think it's very tactically savvy. And I think that because we're so outraged by it and we're talking so often about how dirty this is in terms of electioneering, we're often missing the fact, which is that that's all we're talking about. He's the octuple threat who tweets as sturdy Alex and regularly comedies the Best of Britain account because he's got too many hot takes for just one. <laughs> it's Alex Andreu. <laughs> Alex, keep our spirits up by telling us one good thing that's come out of this election. It could be anything you like. It'll be over soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean that only partly facetiously, because actually, after the 12th of December, we will either have a decent government or we will, at long last, have a decent opposition. So, yay. <laughs> a bit of satire there. Um, so this is how it's going to work. We'll be talking about the final phase of the election and the future of populism. Then we'll have the first part of our festive Have I Got Brexit For You quiz, where the four of us will try and answer some fiendishly tricky questions from producer Andrew. After the break, Andrew will be joined by Ian Dunt, Naomi Smith and Ingrid Oliver <laughs> to discuss the party campaigns in more detail and to raise the banner of hope with some big ideas for the 2020s. Then I'll conduct round two of the big British Brexit brain teaser and we'll finish off with audience questions with the entire cast, like the end of Avengers Endgame, where everybody comes back from the dead <laughs> through portal. That's the portal. It's just, just goes to the toilet. So onwards. Uh, there are just 10 days to go until the general election. And we shall see whether tactical voting can remove Boris Johnson, his girlfriend, and his needy dog from Downing Street. <laughs> Uh, it's a big noise over the weekend was a supposed narrowing of the poll gap between Labour and the Tories as votes apparently fell away from the Lib Dems, which we'll talk about in a bit. First, the campaign. Yesterday saw Johnson doing what he does best, exploiting a tragedy for his own ends. Uh, he said it was ridiculous the London Bridge attacker had been freed early and blamed a lefty government for allowing early releases, which is no way to talk about the Theresa May years. <laughs> Um, Alex, we were promised the Brexit election. Yes. Uh, but really the slogan, we've just got a repetition of slogans, get Brexit done versus we will renegotiate it. It doesn't really seem to go, the Brexit content doesn't seem to go much beyond that. People are talking about um, obviously many other things. Many other. Well, it didn't the first policies. time round either, did it? Well, like when it was the actual referendum, we didn't get much content. So, so why, why should we get content now where it's only indirectly a Brexit election. So, I mean, is it the fact that just people are so hardened in their attitudes that actually really campaigning on Brexit alone is not moving anybody? It's basically just getting the people that want, you know, the Leave side or the Remain side. But actually it's not going to shift enough. I mean, that's quite glum. Um, people have moved. I'll smile as I say it. <laughs> is it just everyone's not going to change their mind? No, but the point is people have moved. They haven't moved in the numbers we may have imagined, seeing what's happened over the last three years, but there's now a stable majority in the country for Remain. Oh, but I mean movement within the weeks of the election campaign as opposed to the last three years. Yeah, the, I mean, the problem with that is that you have to give them options to move to. So, um, at, at the moment... That there's just so much negativity about pretty much everyone involved in the election that, you know, 
any candidate you choose to vote for is going to be basically shit. <laughs> so you're just choosing between different colours of shit. So <laughs> Do I want the dark brown stuff today or the light greenish? So if it's not the Brexit election, what election is it? Um, it's the third one in five years. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I think, <laughs> impacts people's interest in it, including mine, I have to say. <laughs> you are going to have to talk about it a little bit yes, more. Yes, no, 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 okay, all right, I'll Absolutely. cheer up. Uh, I'll, I'll throw loads of election facts at Good. you now. Um, Rod, is there, is there um, something that, that Labour could have done more in attacking Johnson for being a kind of liar or a bungler or kind of personality stuff? Or is it the case that these things keep coming out and I find it absolutely wild that people are still discovering his spectator columns? Which it's not like kind of they were hit, <laughs> like buried microfilm. It was like, it was in the spectator. You can just look at, why hasn't no one looked it up before? Just Google it. <laughs> um, but you know, would that actually pay dividends? Or is it that it's so priced in that people who like Boris Johnson aren't going to go, ooh, he said this horrible thing? Well, yeah. I mean, of course, it was the mid-90s, and that was a lifetime ago. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, it, yes, it, there is an Achilles heel that Johnson has. Um, this is the fact that he has only ever been a journalist, really, and he has not been a politician in any meaningful sense. He has been MP, but and he's been Foreign Secretary, but I think we can agree... That, and Mayor of London. And Mayor of London, yeah, but, I mean, we think we can agree that, that, that he didn't actually achieve anything in those, in those, in those periods of office. And uh, all the time he carried on with his, with his journalisticking. And this is, this is really... That's his, a trade term, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a trade term. And, and, and this is the key to Johnson's personality, because... He doesn't actually do stuff. He just kind of pontificates and waffles and whiffles about it. Uh, he hasn't actually got any significant achievements to his name. Um, and I think if Labour were to have a chance of um, pulling this thing, this thing off, they would, they would point out just how little he has achieved. Because normally in politics, you know, you have to work with people. You go to boring meetings and you decide things and you thrash things out over a long time and you, 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 you kind of have to make alliances. Johnson doesn't do that. You often hear it said that he doesn't have friends, really, and that is the case. He doesn't have friends because he doesn't need them. Because in journalism, and having been a journalist myself um, in the past, cooperating with people is seen as a weakness, generally. Um, and, 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 and being difficult is often seen as a strength. Now, you know, present company accepted. But, um, but that, that, that is the key to his personality. He doesn't do stuff. He waffles. What, what but, I find quite funny is that there was a general perception that he'd be really good at it before he became prime minister, right. mainly because he had said for so many years he'd be really good at it. And he, said and, it with a, and he said it with a joke and a bit and of Latin. And fucking yeah. awful. Like, by all objective standards, the job he has coveted for his entire life, he's fucking awful at it. And an awful campaigner. Yeah. It, which is kind of, which is one of the things, the reasons why the membership, it, you know... It turns out like, 10 Downing Street, Street is not at all like the after-dinner speech circuit. Ros, people haven't sort of done much. I mean, I'm, and this isn't a Chris, it's an objective fact. Corbyn hasn't done much um, in his career. He doesn't have like a long list of achievements that he can reel off. So is it that it's sort of 
Is it that, that Johnson is sort of being protected by Corbyn's weaknesses and, and, and sort of Corbyn's unpopularity? I mean, it's a little, it's a little late to change things around at this stage. Um, but, but do you just think it's, it's hard for Corbyn in particular to sort of to, to lay a finger on Johnson? Or are there other angles he could be taking? Well, Corbyn may not have achieved very much, uh, formally speaking, but he does believe in something. He has a very strong set of beliefs, and those beliefs don't change. Uh, Johnson does not. He, he does not have a moral compass, as we know. He basically just goes with whatever was more likely to get him into power. And that's what he achieved. So I think um, Corbyn, you know, Corbyn's deeply held beliefs about society are in a way in his strength. It's just a shame that it is Corbyn who has so little appeal to the electorate who is putting them forward. Nina, regarding the, the attack uh, on London Bridge, um, which Johnson has handled uh, shamelessly, because it, I suppose it does press buttons to do with national security, uh, you know, xenophobia. Um, do you think it's the kind of event that would actually make any difference to the election? I absolutely do think it makes a difference. And I think that the Tories are just more trusted on security, crime and policing than Labour is. And um, this has a lot to do with kind of Corbyn's intervention, um, his position on the nuclear deterrent. Um, what he said about, you know, 9-11 and the war in Iraq. And I think that a lot of people, even though they might not like the Tories, would feel that the issues of national security, when, it, you know, they might just pinch their nose and vote for the Tories because they don't think Labour would make a difference. And I don't think it's been helpful when Jeremy Corbyn comes out and says this is to do with UK's uh, foreign policy because we know that the problem of fundamental Islamic terror and terrorism in general predates, you know, the UK's intervention in Iraq. And it's something that is very relevant to our society, especially because there's a lot of homegrown terror with the internet. You know, now the, the modus operandi is that individuals are radicalized on the internet. So again, even though Johnson's answer to this, which seems to be longer prison sentences, I mean, if you're, if you, if your ideology is that you know, you, you believe that it is your religious imperative to do this, then a longer prison sentence isn't going to stop you from doing it. Mm. Nonetheless, um, Corbyn's argument as to why this is happening doesn't really hold any water either. So both parties, I don't think, are having a sensible debate on the issues of homegrown terror, which is one that is obviously very, very incendiary in the mind of the public and um, will be something that they think about when they go and vote. Um, and let's not forget the Lib Dems. I don't know, actually, what, what has James Swinson said about this? I don't know. I mean, it's a hard question. But, um, Is that the no, start of the quiz? No, but the... Um, <laughs> if so, we'll no, it, won't be that, it won't be that hard. Um, I'm, I'm going to guess she said that both of them are politicking and it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good, sensible, centrist yeah, She did, response. I remember that. Just... I always think all that the Lib Dem or ever needs to do is just go, these guys. <laughs> the old Nick Clegg 2010 move. It's a classic. Um, has, um, has sort of Joe Swinson blown it, which is why Lib, the Lib Dem support is falling? Or is it, do you think there is just this kind of natural squeeze where basically there's certain Tories that fear Corbyn Labour supporters who fear a Tory majority and that just p 
people who would quite like to vote Lib Dem, uh, you know, unless the constituency, obviously it's constituency where the Lib Dems have the best chance, are just thinking, nah, not this time. Do you know what I mean? Is it, how much is she to blame and how much is this just the inevitable squeezing of other parties as you get to polling day? So I think she made a tactical decision a few months ago, which um, when it seemed like we were heading towards a no-deal Brexit and it seemed feasible that Boris Johnson would lead the Conservatives in an election with no deal as a, on, you know, on a no deal mandate. So then it seemed sensible for her to be the party of revoke. As it happened, Boris Johnson you know, didn't die in a ditch on the October the 31st and asked for the extension. And for me, that was quite surprising because I thought there would be, with the ERG in particular, that they would um, you know, be up, up in arms about that, but they weren't. Um, so therefore, she's now kind of boxed in this strategic position, which hasn't panned out for her the way that it could have done had her strategical calculations been right. So now she kind of, because it isn't a revoke versus no deal election, she is in this kind of awkward position where people now are going back to Labour mm. because they don't want the Tories to have this massive majority, which the polls seem to suggest they might get. Sorry. I also, I also think there's something uh, very reminiscent of Hillary Clinton going on here uh, with Joe Swinson. She is kind of, you know, the sensible mainstream option. And in comparison to Johnson and, and Corbyn, she, she loses as a, re as a result of that. And I think, unfortunately, you know, you've got to remember there isn't... Theresa May only just won the, or barely won, the 2017 election. Uh, there's been Margaret Thatcher. Labour has, has never had a female leader. Um, it, that it is still a struggle for women in British politics to get their voices heard. And that was compounded when, of course, the others made sure that she didn't appear in the first debate. Yeah. Alex, obviously, for, from a Remain point of view, the ideal scenario is... Uh, I mean, the ideal realistic scenario is a hung parliament. Yeah. Um, if the Tories get a small majority... Is there hope that there might be, you know, some dissenting voices within the Tory party that would kind of push back on Johnson's deal? Or oh, do you completely. expect them to all fall into line? Absolutely. Absolutely. You think they would? Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, I think having observed Johnson in power for the last four months, um, having him at the steering wheel, you say to him, you just need to drive from here to there. He's basically going to crash to the side about... <laughs> 10 feet into it. So I think there's every, there's every chance, whatever happens, actually. I don't think the, the battle is over at all. So we're not going to have that kind of, what the fear, which is, I suppose, this very sort of purified, you know, cleansed sort of Tory party where everybody's, everybody's on side with Johnson and Brexit. It's, it's really easy to have a view from the outside of things and then when you see the briefings that the civil servants give you and they tell you, maybe we'll have insulin, maybe we won't, um, it, it becomes a really different thing to sign your name to that. So, yes, I think there will be dissenters. So I slightly disagree. If Boris Johnson comes back with the majority, I think the Conservative MPs, regardless of where they stand on Brexit, will get behind his deal. And when we talk about his deal, let's not forget that it's actually 99% Theresa May's deal. Uh, the issue of the backstop is you know, still there. It hasn't changed in substance. He's just agreed to uh, a border in the Irish Sea, which was unpalatable under Theresa May. 
So I think I've been amazed at how Boris Johnson has been successful in basically selling Theresa May's deal, but worse to his own party. So I think that if he does come back with a majority, they will get behind the deal. Um, of course, the next big battle will be what type of Brexit is it actually going to be? Because as we all know, this deal only is the divorce phase. And the next phase, talking about future relations, will go on for many, 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 many years. You can buy a season ticket to this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be here all decade. Um, so be before we wrap up this bit, obviously, you've probably, anybody who's been on social media, particularly if they follow Best of Britain, has been told to vote tactically. You may have heard this once or twice. Um, is there really anything, is it, does it really come down now? Do the hopes of thwarting a Tory majority come down to tactical voting? Do you think there's anything out? We've had the manifesto. We've had the first debates. You know, do you think there's anything uh, that's going to happen that, 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 for example, Labour could do or the Tories could do to themselves that is going to make turnout. a difference? Turnout. Turnout. I think turnout will be the absolute key. Um, one interesting thing, I was looking at the latest polls, and they don't usually put that information into them. You have to, do, to look at the actual spreadsheets. But the don't knows have been increasing. Now, at this stage before an election, you'd expect them to be drastically decreasing. So I think while Johnson's awfulness hasn't pushed enough people into Corbyn's arms because there's such a distance to travel politically between the two of them, I think it might make a lot of people uh, stay home. And I think it might make a lot of Tory campaigners campaign that little bit less enthusiastically because they're following, obviously, much more closely this complete shit show. So, well, obviously, the don't knows are doing very well. Um, but <laughs> I'm not... Who's the leader of the don't knows? And what would a don't know government do? Shall we be do? leader of the don't knows? Yes. I'll be the leader of the don't knows. We'll, yeah. I don't know. Our manifesto, our manifesto, each page is just... I don't know. Don't know. know. <laughs> don't know. I don't know. Where did you put it? I don't know. Uh, so because it's Christmas, uh, we're going to have our quiz with each of our panels answering questions from the other lot. So please welcome on stage our producer, Andrew Harrison, who's got some terribly hard Brexit questions for us. Um, hello? Is this thing on? Is it on? It's on. It's on. Can we confer? Can we call a friend? You can. You can can confer. we use a lifeline? Can oh, we ask the audience? You can't, you can't ring a friend. You can't ask the audience, but you can confer. But firstly, I have to say, hello, contestants. Thanks for coming and thanks for playing. <laughs> you could win an amazing prize of absolutely nothing. Here are the questions, okay, of, of I Got Brexit for you. Question one, for two points. What was the motto on the Brexit 50p coin that was melted down after we didn't leave the EU on the 31st of October? Right. What was the motto on the Brexit don't, 50p coin? Don't panic. No, no. Good answer. Um, friends among all nations. Friends of all nations. It's good, but it's not right. What? It's close. Uh, it's warm. Can you keep going? Keep going. Is it something to do with all nations? Yeah. All the, the, the phrase all nations is in there. Open to all nations. Are you mad? No. I, Brexit. Open to all nations. Come on. Open, open all Fuck hours. off all I nations. I don't know. Would be more plausible. I don't know. I'm the leader of the don't knows. I'm voting don't know. 
Come on, I, more, more tries, more tries. I'll give you a clue. It's not about war. Peace in all nations, between all nations. Peace among all nations. I'm going to give it to you. It's peace, comma, prosperity and friendship to all nations. Oh. What a load of bollocks. Okay. <laughs> but I've given you the two points. How big were those really? 50 people? <laughs> I think it's like, the, what, the, you know, around the side, the side of the pound coin where it says standing on the shoulders of giants. And people go, eh? Yeah. What? <laughs> anyway, question two. For one point each, and this is a quick fire round. Do these pro-Brexit pressure groups exist or did I make them up? <laughs> Number one, Christians for Britain, non-denominational, cross-party, broad church body, broad church, of Christians advocating Brexit. Yes. Is, are we, are we, start, we think it's real? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. you're correct. One point. <laughs> it was set up by Dorian's favourite, Giles Fraser. Oh, oh, Jesus. The Volkisher Vicar. <laughs> so that's one. So you've got three points. You're doing well. Uh, number two, Fishing for Britain, celebrated for its popular fish and chip lunches and tub-thumping platform speeches. True, or did I make it up? I think that was Fisherman called something else. Fishing? Sorry? Fishermen or fishing? Fishing for Britain. You put a no. rod in the sea and you get Britain. Britain. No. <laughs> it comes out. No. All I mean... It. No. Is it is it with an F or a PH? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because the latter definitely fucking exists. <laughs> yeah. So what, what what are you saying? Is it real? Or is I, it I think it was called something else. I'm, yeah. I'd, I'd say fake. no. No. Fake. So fake. Yeah. Fake. fake. I'm sorry. It's a, no. It's, it's, fake. Fake. You say it's fake. Well, you're all wrong. <laughs> it's real. It was originally known. I'm surprised at you, Roz, because you know about fish. It was originally known as Save Britain's Fish. Because I know about fish, that yes. I don't follow fishing. <laughs> <laughs> it says here, its fringe events became highly popular at the party conferences. And it was behind the Battle of the Thames with Bob Geldof and they all had that fish thing. Anyway, oh. so you didn't get that one. Number three, bollocks to Brussels, giving Ramonas a taste of their own medicine. True or false? We all seen the bollocks for Brexit stickers. Bollocks it's got to be true, right? Decisions, please. Got to be true. Fake. 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 You're all wrong. No, you're not. You're right. It is correct. Yes, it is fake. I mean, Or did I? Yes, yes, correct. So that's a further point. Four points. Number four. Get Britain out. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's an independent cross-party campaign to get Britain out. That's definitely real. True. Yeah, it is true. Absolutely correct, yes. And on its website, it said, democracy is a vital kingpin of our lives. Vincent D'Onofrio on Netflix <laughs> slamming your head in the taxi door. <laughs> Democracy is about the kingpin of our lives. Matt Murdock. Okay, I so that's... I love that so much. Two, three, four. Yeah, four points. No, five points. You're doing well. Number five. Right. No half measures. Campaigning to restore imperial measurements in shops and pubs. <laughs> they grew out of the metric martyrs and they're not trying to bring uh, yeah. imperial measurements into the exclusion of all else. They just want parity. They just want parity with magic. True or false? True. They do, yeah, they do love imperial measurements, don't they? Brexiters. Yeah, but would they call it no half no, no half measures? measures? Because it's like no, not halfway to Brexit. You see? No, he's selling it too hard. He's selling it too hard. <laughs> he, he, he's right? he's desperate for that to be witty. So that's Andrew. Right. <laughs> what are you saying? Nothing. Well, we're split. Okay. Well, bring the countries together, Dorian. <laughs> Is it true? Is it false? 
Let's ask it's the true. audience. No, let's not ask the audience. <laughs> oh. Come on, true or false? False. True. False. True. true. <laughs> <laughs> We're deadlocked. Let's o- have an order. <laughs> this is like Clear the lobby. Oh, come on, so what 48, are you? 4852. 4856. Come on, is it true or is it false? False. True. true. False. True. False. <laughs> Say, we've got a whole other half of the show to do. <laughs> this deadlocked, blocked you bit have of the to, show. You have to let us ask the audience. All right, come on. on, hands up who thinks it's true. No, we've. What, hands audience? up who it's thinks you, it's then. true. Who thinks it's true? Who thinks it's true? Oh. 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 <laughs> Would you like to leave the European Union? Okay, the, like, audience, the audience says false, I think. The, the name of the group is No Half Measures. The audience says false. Are you going with false? No Half Measures sounds like an awful kind of covers band, doesn't it? I don't make the rules. Or do I? Um, come on. False, it, false, false. False. You're all correct. It's false. Yes! Uh, I totally made thank it up. Thank you, audience. <laughs> all right, and finally... I told you. Finally, out and proud, the LGBT plus campaign to leave the EU. Out and proud. Out and proud. Is it real or is it bullshit? That has to be real, I'm afraid. It's real. It's that's, difficult because That's got to be that. There was one, there was one group called Artists for Brexit. I, I hope that's not the subject of one of your future... Turkeys ones. for Christmas? Yeah. Um, and they, but they never really seem to produce much, okay. as it were. Um, yeah. But I, I... Yeah. So you're saying true? You say it's true? Yeah, I'm saying yeah. it's yeah, awful true. enough you're to be true. true yeah. you? You're absolutely correct. Alton Proud exists, it says, on its uh, Twitter site, which it actually appears to be only one person, but... Uh, <laughs> The thing says LGBT plus people know that Brexit is the best way to ensure our safety and equality. <laughs> Good luck with that. Okay, question three. This is quick. Everybody knows that giving the scorpion a lift across the river <laughs> is the best way. Have you heard The Snake by Frankie Valley? Yes. Um, for two points, in the expensive scandal of 2009, which did so much to destroy faith in politics and pave the way for the referendum result, which prominent Brexiter claimed £5,700 for a brand new portico on his house in Yorkshire? In Yorkshire? Oh, I was going to say Mark, but it's Yorkshire. Oh. Bridgen? Where's he? Could be Bridgen. I, could it be Cash? Could it be Bill Cash? Oh. No, Cash is Shropshire. Is he? <laughs> cash rules everything around. That's where I'm from. I have to hurry you. We don't have all day. Prominent, prominent Brexit. I'll give you a clue. He's a you, total you say, dick. You say, <laughs> promi- oh, you that say prominent Brexit. Prominent Brexit. It's not going to turn out to be someone no one's ever No, heard it's of. not like yeah, okay. Daniel, I so made up the ball. Let's go with Bridgen. Bridgen, why not? Fuck it. Yeah, Bridgen. Bridgen. I've got no idea. It's David Davis. Oh. For two points, quick one. What of connects course the, it is. What connects the Brexit Central News site, the Global Warming Policy Foundation, Migration Watch UK, and something called the New Culture Forum? What connects... 50, 55 Tufton Street. <laughs> yeah. Who funds you? I'm happy to go with Absolutely that. correct. They all yeah. live in 55 Tufton 55 <laughs> Tufton Street. <laughs> which is like right-wing fraggles. And finally... For two points, one of the following Euro myths 
was not launched by Boris Johnson when he was the Telegraph's Brussels correspondent between 1989 and 1994. Which is it? Which one of these was not made up by Boris Johnson? Number one, Brussels recruits sniffers to ensure that all Euro manure smells the same. Number two, snails are fish, says EU. Number three, EU regulations on Sorry, cabbage. what was number two? Snails are fish, says EU. Okay. Snails are... <laughs> number three. <laughs> Coming out to you in the street. Snails are fish! <laughs> it's exactly what it's like. Number three. EU regulations on cabbage are 26,911 words long. That's definitely Boris. Number four, Brussels banana police force to fight bendiness. And number five, EU to ban prawn cocktail crisps. Which one of them? One or two. So it's like Brussels recruit sniffers, it's Euromignor, snails of fish, cabbage thing, banana police... Arrest this man. The thing or is, prawn cocktail crisps. The thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that the prawn cocktail crisps and the banana ones weren't actually Johnson. Mm. I think the banana think. ones were. Well, for the, the bendy bananas was, but that's not about crisps. the bendy bananas. Yeah. It's about a police to yeah. a force a to police okay. the bendiness. Any ideas? What are you going with? I'd go with snails or fish. Because yeah, they're, they're not. <laughs> they're just not. No, it's all bullshit. That's not, it's not yeah. that it's true or false. It's no, Boris Johnson make it up. No, the others are all true, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you meet two mummies by the pyramid. One always lies and the other tells the truth. And you have to have... No, come on. Yeah. Which, one, which one is the one that wasn't made up by Boris Johnson? He made up the other ones. Which one was not made up by Boris Johnson? Snails of fish. Yeah, snails of fish. Okay, yeah, let's go with that. Sadly, it's EU regulations on cabbage are 26,911 uh, words long. That's actually a long-running internet myth which Rachel Johnson propagates it. Uh, and at the end of that round, I'm happy to say I've lost count of how many points you've got. So I'll work it out afterwards. Okay. Thank you very much. Woo! I- I've been keeping count. It was 50,000 nurses. <laughs> including the 19,000 we had before the game began. (laughs) I'm a little bit pissed. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I haven't had dinner and they shoved a drink in my hand. Anyway. You've had your fun. Um, So the decade is nearing its end. Uh... And when the history is written, uh, Brexit will be only a part of the wider theme of populism. Sorry, everyone. Um, This was a decade where anything became permissible as long as it wound up the elites. I mean, politicians, academics, business leaders, you, us, people who read. Um, (laughs) Donald Trump, Viktor Orban, Jair Bolsonaro and more wrote to power by trashing norms, giving voice to racism, nativism and setting their idea of the will of the people against the corrupt elites. Um, But far-right parties underperformed in this year's European elections. Um, Brexit looks like a bit of a cautionary tale. Um, Trump is up for re-election next year. Could we be seeing the high watermark? And if so, can we help it along? Um, Out the door. Nina, how is populism doing in, in the rest of Europe, the, the tide that we, that we were all told about? Yeah, so they, the pop kind of far-right and populist parties underperformed in the European election. That's not to say that the tide against populism has turned. Um, if you look at Central and Eastern Europe, uh, 
the kind of Orban is still in power, law and justice in Poland. So it's certainly not the case that this trend is over. I think it's going to be here to stay as a more prevalent feature. And I think the thing that defines some of these movements has a lot to do with identity polit politics, feelings, um, you know, the kind of cultural arguments behind these movements are very powerful in many parts of Europe. But on the bright side, um, I mean, in countries like Germany, where the AFD was supposedly storming, you know, the gates of the Bundestag, they've been kind of capped at 13%. And you see the rise, in fact, of on the far left, uh, the Greens. So it's almost like concurrently on the other side of the political spectrum, you see the rise of these uh, it's particularly green parties, which stand in direct opposition to some of the kind of cultural arguments that are being made by the far right populist parties. So you almost see populist parties on the left as well. So what I do think is a trend is that the center ground seems to be splintering across European politics. And when we talk about a wave, does it, do certain countries have the power that if, if they sort of change direction, for example, if Trump loses the next election, um, if Brexit turns out to be, God forbid, a disaster. Um, <laughs> does that have a kind of knock-on effect? Because we really are talking about, if you look at the countries we're talking about here, it's sort of, you know, Brazil, Russia, Turkey, Hungary, India, America. You know, they're, they're very, very diverse, very different political traditions and situations there. How much does it make sense to talk of a trend that could therefore be stalled or reversed? I think you can make some very generic parallels. So when you talk about populism as a way to win elections or even as a form of governance, the thing that kind of unites these movements is that it is about the will of the people, you know, the people who the populist government serves at the expense of anyone else. So that's a parallel that you can draw across the world. And I think the other interesting dynamic to think about is that Often there's a kind of liberal complacency that these populist parties only do well when they're in opposition. So, you know, their populist rhetoric only helps to win elections, but if they come into power, they cannot govern. And I think that if you look at the populist governments in power across the world, what we're finding is that they are actually very popular and very good at governing, albeit only for the people who they consider the real people. Mm. Because once they get in power, there's no end to the number of elites or billionaires or immigrants or whoever it is that is standing in the way of the will of the people. So I think there is a, all of these movements are of course different. However, there are some broad, big trends that you can um, draw across the entire world. And I think that the kind of liberal complacency to say that these populist, uh, this populist movement is not actually a form of governance is not true. It is proving to be a very effective at least uh, a form of governance in terms of winning elections and staying in power. Roz, obviously it's Facebook's fault, but imagine <laughs> it isn't. Imagine it's more complicated than that. Um, do you think that this sort of craving for um, authoritarianism and a kind of psychedelic version of reality uh, in which truth is whatever you say it is, it, you know, does that... Does that really stem from the, is this the aftershocks of the financial crisis? Like why, why has this decade, is that the reason this decade has panned out the way it has? The key thing about technology is it makes it much easier to mobilize political opinion. And that is 
something that didn't really happen in the immediate aftermath of 2009, the financial crisis, um, because you know we didn't see, except in a few countries, we, we didn't see big demos, we didn't see a great deal of outrage. Um, and the difference between populism now, in one of many differences now, and the difference between populism and, say, in the 1930s, um, is that that was often driven by desperation, by a need for a strong government. People perceived a need for a strong government because they were in financial trouble and they were desperate and there was a great crash and so on. Um, and uh, that, that has fed into populism in some ways in Britain. I mean, there are people who voted for Brexit because they thought it would improve their lives. Um, and they felt desperate enough to to do anything to you know to vote for anything much that was promised that would do that. But the thing about that what didn't that exists now that didn't then is that ability to mobilise public opinion. And so yeah, it is partly Facebook's. <laughs> it is partly Facebook's fault because that means you can accelerate the whole process of creating political parties. Look at the Brexit Party. You know. It didn't even exist a few months ago. And then it totally, it came first in the European elections. And okay, it's not doing very well now, but that just shows how, much, how fast things are changing and how quickly and uh, rapidly um, public opinion can be mobilized and can be changed. And Will it be fine because centrist sleeper agent Nick Clegg is going to bring the whole thing down <laughs> while pretending to be working for them? Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting choice. He's going to work for Facebook. I, 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 I imagine he's regressing it slightly at this point. Um, I imagine he's not. <laughs> Big paycheck. Well, have, you, have you seen his house? Um, Alex, how populist would you say this election is, whether kind of, you know, on the right or the left? Do you, I mean, does it really feel... I mean, it's certainly more populist than the more sort of, say, you know, technocratic election of the 90s or whatever but but do you think it really how populist do you think it is uh, it depends how you define it i mean there's been a complete breakdown of what's okay to do and what's not okay to do so i i i think it's i i haven't experienced an election like it before you know where they just put out a doctored video of someone and then just don't take it down everyone says that's not real and they just don't take it down um, and, and I think that's, that's the difference, and I think that's the bit we're not concentrating on. Not that, we, not that we shouldn't concentrate on the medium, on the Facebook and the Twitter, but, but it's actually the material that's being put out from conservative central office. Um, you know, if they had decided to put out a doctored video of someone in the 60s as their party political broadcast on the BBC before a program that was watched by 20 million people that would have had even more penetration. It's just there seemed to be a, a sort of a, a, a tacit agreement that we're not going to cross those lines. And that's what's collapsed now. And that's why it's, it feels particularly scary because it feels that there, there's nothing people won't do to get there. And it's beginning to justify similar stuff on the left. Because justifiably, people think, well, if they're doing this to us, we can't just stay on the moral high ground and take it on the chin. We have to fight dirty as well. well you're talking dirty, sort of dirty, equating populism with dirty tricks there. Does that mean that you think there is no such thing as a kind of benign 
more benign form of kind of left-wing populism, like there, you know, there has been left-wing populism, obviously particularly in Latin America. Do, do you think that that's so possible, or, or I mean, does populism to you essentially mean something that is malign? I don't know what the sort of definition that's taught to politics students is, but I would term populism as something that reduces complicated things to very simple answers and then feeds them to people. Um, and I think that's where we are now. And it's really difficult to make a, a, an argument that, you know, talking about the attack the other day, it's really difficult to go on TV and say, it's a lot more complicated than that. We have to, yes, we have to look at the legislation. Yes, we have to look at, you know, we have to look at a host of things because everyone goes, oh, this is boring. Just, you know, turn four in a bed on, or whatever it's called. Four in a bed? Four in a bed? I've no idea. It's very popular, apparently. I don't have the adult channels. Very popular. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, there have, been there have been attempts over the last, you know, th three and a half years um, where people have kind of got very excited about certain more centrist figures, whether that's Macron or Trudeau, who in various ways... Uh, have been somewhat, you know, they're still in power, have been somewhat sort of disappointing. Um, well, everyone is ultimately disappointing. Everybody's disappointing. That's life, isn't it, really? Everybody lets you down. <laughs> but anyway... It's true, <laughs> yeah. dear listener. Very British outlook. <laughs> no, but is there... Is, do we actually ha are we actually seeing, uh, just, just to wrap up, are we actually seeing some really impressive... Uh, people, whatever you want to call them, liberal centrists, you know, not, not sort of populist, who do seem to be offering a kind of antidote, or do we have some sort of, is it more a question of some handsome blank canvases that we're kind of projecting our wishes onto? Who, who impresses you as a kind of anti-populist kind of bulwark? Anyone smart enough to make an impact won't be anywhere near where, what's happening right now. Anyone smart enough will not be involved in anything that's going on right now. They will emerge after, you know, the chips fall. Could they be in this room right now? They could. Could the future... They could. They could be yeah. witty song composers, for all I know. Maybe that will be the centrist party of the, the future. I don't know. Well, again, Randy Newman. Or no, but the point is... <laughs> now I'm talking I mean, about I music, dude. Oh, sorry. Um... No, but, but the point is, the, the point is, the amateurish thing that populists at the moment have, have done is that they've hitched their wagon onto each other. So they've created a little bit of a domino um, where if Trump falls, for instance, um, if Johnson gets elected and then six months later Trump goes... Johnson will have a real problem with a Democrat president. They will be, you know, from the start, hostile to that person because he's Britain Trump. Mm. So um, they've put all their eggs in this one basket, and I'm hoping that it will start to crack. So when it comes to populism, I think it is prevalently now becoming an issue not when we think of populism, and I think in this context we're talking about far-right populism, but you have a populism on the left as well. And that is what we were talking about earlier. This is 
the profession by a certain group of politicians to represent a group of people who are the real people. And that's not only on the right, it's also on the left. So I think if you're talking about stalwarts like Merkel, who will stand in the center and say, you know, I speak for all the people, not just people who share, tend to share my view of politics, either on the left or the right, it almost does seem like, particularly in Western liberal democracies, this is going to become more and more of a rarity. Because if you look at the United States, which often tends to be a bellwether for politics, I think, in the United Kingdom and maybe across the rest of Europe, identity politics, the stark division in society is increasingly becoming entrenched. We'll see that in 2020. And the kind of issues that this kind of war, culture war, or identity politic war is being fought on is, um, you know, issues like trans rights, transgender rights, or, uh, and I, I think increasingly that is going to become a trend. So I, I think the kind of Merkel figure will fade away. So we are going to need those satirical singer-songwriters yeah. very, <laughs> very much. So banking on you. Uh, and that's the end of part one of our Christmas show. After the break, Naomi, Ian, Ingrid and Andrew will be here to uh, rate the party's performances so far, come up with some big ideas for the next decade, and uh, I will come back for my quiz revenge. <laughs> Thanks for me, Alex, Roz and Nina, uh, and we, they, will see you after the break. Thank you. It's on. It's on. Amazing. Um, hello, and welcome to part two of our traditional English pantomime. All I want for Christmas is EU. Yay! Hey, nice one. Cheers. <laughs> we got roadies. Um, massive round of applause to Dorian, Rosnina, and Alex for a fantastic and illuminating part one. They're now back in the dressing room, battering the eggnog, a drink which nobody drinks except in jokes about Christmas. However, there has been a terrible schism, just like people's vote and OFOC, and like it's us here now, and we hate them. <laughs> I'm Andrew Harrison, I'm the producer of Romaniacs. Let's meet the panel for part two. Uh, she's the hardest working Romaniac of all, CEO of Best of Britain, the woman who's been fighting night and day to make tactical voting happen. I would have told you to give it up, but you're already giving it up for the bonus here of beating Brexit, the mighty Naomi Smith. <laughs> Hello, Naomi. Stop now, stop now. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, I'm a little bit tired, but I've had two gins. Not so tired anymore. Not as tired as I was. Okie dokie. Uh, I was going to say, how's the campaign been wearing? But you're styling, so it doesn't really matter. You're sty totally styling. Um, tactical voting has been massively controversial since the start. Yeah. <laughs> the papers. Um, and it's almost as if a certain party had a vested interest in trashing it from day one, isn't it? Um, do you, how big a role do you think it's going to play? Quickly. Um, if they had a vested... If they had a vested interest at all, mm. it would be to promote it because it is always disproportionately going to help them. Um, so very silly of them to trash it if they are. Um, and I think they're realising that now and eating a bit of humble pie. Um, is it going to be important? Well, look, it's fucking well got to be because it's all we've got. Yes. Right? It is literally all we've got because the Remain parties have failed us 
And yes, there have been the, this brilliant surge of young voters registering to vote, but we don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't know if they're in the right places. And often young people tend to be concentrated in sort of university towns and places that were going to vote for a, you know, a, a good MP anyway. Um, so pretty much tactical voting is all we've got left. So people have got to do it. Absolutely. Um, it's a data changing. What's the latest crumbs yep. and nuggets? So the Lib Dem squeeze started, as it always does in these campaigns, and that, that has happened. Um, over the last week, so since I was last on Romaniacs, if you listened to last week's show, um, there hasn't been huge movement. So Greens um, and, and Brexit Party haven't really moved much at all. And actually, the Conservatives haven't. Um, Labour up one, Lib Dems down one. So that's kind of like the broad trend. But as Alex said in the first half, the don't knows are very interesting. They've only moved from about 16% down to 13% during the campaign and we would have by now expected a steeper decline on that so that is interesting he was mm-hmm. right to flag that you personally took quite a lot of stick from the uh, unfair stick from the Owen Jones teenage fan club uh, <laughs> can you confirm have you have you sent Nick Clegg's Christmas card yet I mean I haven't got a lot of money and uh, <laughs> stamps to California are pretty expensive these days Andrew so they are no quite expensive also joining us, tearing himself away from writing his book. He's writing a book, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's called How to Be a Liberal, and it's out next year. He's also tearing himself away from a Christmassy pile of Batman and Immortal Hulk trade paperbacks. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's crossing off Farage and Richard Tice. It's Sansa's <laughs> little helper, Ian Dunn. Let's keep it Christmassy, Ian. Is this the worst and most painful general election in British history? I mean, it's the worst in my lifetime. You're not that old. Like yesterday, I was, I I woke up with with quite a hangover yesterday, and then I was, they were like, I knew that's what it was. I was, well, okay, yeah. So I I sent the message to these guys last night, I'm actually feeling pretty old, guys. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I think what happened was that my moral core... I've got the black death. Right. Uh, My moral core may have collapsed. And I think that that happened, it was sort of, you wake up, and you're like, fuck it. And then you sort of check into it and you're like, fucking hell, I, I actually have to watch an interview with the Prime Minister. <laughs> and watching it, like, with a hangover, you're just like, actually, maybe, maybe I won't survive this. Like, maybe... Well, he very nearly didn't, because he was clearly doing the interview with a hangover himself. <laughs> it was fucking horrible, man. And, I don't, like, even, you know, you're not looking forward to the day of the result, but at the same time, you're like, I can't take much more of this. It is dreadful. What was the previous contender for the most mendacious and truth-averse campaign ever seen? Because, like, 2017 now sounds, you know, seems positively gentle, personally-like, and, like, truth-based. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, has, it obviously has to be the EU um, referendum. That has to be the answer to that question, because it's by the same fucking guys. And part of the reason that this feels so ghastly at the moment... So let's take the last few days... Look at what was going on with the attack and the way that Boris Johnson responded to the attack. Like what you're seeing is basically what happens when you get a dismantling of social norms. Right? Like we, when we have ideas that you shouldn't lie in public life, when we have ideas like when there is a terrible event that happens where people die, you shouldn't try to make political capital from it, at least for a few fucking days. Just hold your horses at least for that long. That stuff only has the meaning that we imbue it with. It's only by society going, that is the wrong way to behave that it holds, because the personal incentive of the person acting is always to try to get capital from it. The only way they won't is when they feel that society will judge them for doing so. Now, at the moment, they feel society won't judge them for doing so, and that's why you get the fucking spectacle of yesterday. Of Boris Johnson not just capitalising on it, but he didn't give a fuck that he was capitalising on it. 
He was just gunning for it. And the reason is he doesn't feel that there's a penalty anymore. That happened originally in the EU referendum, and it's happening again now. And that's partly why the whole thing is just so de desperately unpleasant to watch. I said Christmassy, Ian. Completing the panel is certainly the Christmasiest person in the room right now because she's actually in the box office smash hit last Christmas in Woo! cinemas right now. Woo! Yes! She gave you her heart the very next day you gave it away. Welcome to the show, Ingrid Oliver. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ingrid, you, you mentioned on the podcast that, that when you got the role in last Christmas, you only took it because it had some Brexit in it. Yeah. yeah. She's just like, look for Brexit in everything now. I, I, I actually do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, this there was it was uh, it, the the film is set in uh, 2017 uh, specifically for a reason, uh, and the central character is Emma Thompson, and her it plays the mum and her daughter is Emilia Clark, and they are Yugoslavian. Mm. So there's scenes dealing with people going fuck off back home and all that. So which is very Christmassy and rom commy. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a scene because I, I only watched it for the first time a couple of days ago, and there was a scene I fully wept. I I really cried. It, I, Anyone that's into Brexit should go watch this film, basically. Um, there, was a, there was a moment when... I mean, not, it's not like a plot point, but there's a moment when Emma Thompson, is, she's Yugoslavian, and she's sitting on the sofa watching the news about Brexit and the EU referendum, and she's crying in that brilliant way that only Emma Thompson can do in Christmas films. <laughs> Amazing crying. And I was, I, was, oh my God, I was weeping. And she was, like, she was just saying, they, they don't want us here. They don't want us. They, they, they're, they're saying it's our fault. They're saying it's the immigrants. They always say it's the immigrants. And there's a brilliant pause, and she goes, I blame the Poles. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, everyone go watch it. You don't need to see it now. You've seen the Brexit. Oh, yeah, that's the best bit. Hashtag spoilers. Um, I thought the great moment of, of Heartbreak was going to be like, he's a leaver, she's a remainer, and it's never going to work out. No, that's my, that's my Daniel Hernan story that I'm going to write into a treatment. Like, I, I don't know if any of you heard that story. I met Daniel Hernan on a plane to Naples and we talked for three hours. Uh, that's going to be the basis of a rom rom-com story. So it's, it's like a thematic wham sequel called I'm Your Dad. Baby, Ooh, I'm yes. your dad. All right. Very good. That's enough of that. You must okay. never do this. <laughs> so, okay, depressing politics of Christmas. Dorian and the part one team gave us an enormously cheering assessment of the election campaign as it stands. We're now going to grade the parties for how they've done so far on policy and ideas, as well as banana skins, televised cock-ups, obvious lying, shit shows with mops, things like that. That's going to be a real trick, considering that Labour has gone policy crazy while the Conservatives have only one policy, and it's get Brexit done. So let's start with Labour. Ian, it emerged over the weekend that, that the Labour Party is pulling a handbrake turn to concentrate resources in so-called leave areas that are emphasising the idea of a better Labour Brexit, funny ears, and not the initial strategy of talking about anything but, but Brexit. What is the thinking here? Is this like screaming panic, oh my God, what have we done? Or is there some kind of omnidimensional chess going on here? No, I mean, look, they've always had this problem, which is the reason that they haven't become a fully Remain party and the reason that they have the policy position that they do, which is a referendum and Jeremy Corbyn saying, I'll stand above the crowd and, you know, not come down one side or another. I wouldn't be too upset about it, to be honest. Um, Corbyn shares a... a He's quite, he, he would love me saying this. He's actually quite similar to Tony Blair in the way that he operates. Ooh! Sorry, Andrew. How can you say that? It's true. And the reason is because, um... 
I didn't mean to criticize They're him. buying it. I'm sorry. And, and the reason is because he triangulates. So he sees, you guys have got nowhere to go. Lefty, liberal, you've got nowhere to go. That allows me to go work and appeal to, to Levy, right wing, etc. Um, now, there's a problem for him there, which until now was, was quite severe, which is basically that the liberal lefties would actually start going away. Basically, he got punished on the Remain front during the European elections. And he got punished in a way where we fixed the triangulation. We fixed the triangulation because we got what we wanted from him which was a second referendum as a policy for Labour. So once that's in place, you just think, fucking mate, go and appeal to whoever the fuck you need to appeal to to try and win this thing, because we've got what we want in the bag. So on that basis, I just sort of think, I understand the reasons why he may need to do that. Now, there are consequences to that. There are consequences with voters. But it does make sense to me that you think, if we're losing for that reason, and it's questionable, frankly, whether it is that reason or whether it's people just looking at Jeremy Corbyn and thinking, you're a fucking lunatic. <laughs> but... It doesn't do us any harm for him to be doing that. And I sort of think I'd, I'd, be pr- I'd be as relaxed about that as it's possible to be. Well, the, the, so the data I talked about earlier about, you know, there's only been this little tiny shift over the last week. It, it appears that the Conservative Remainers are staying with the Conservatives and the Labour Leavers are staying with Labour. Um, so, yeah. It's... So who are all these people that are moving about then? Well, they're not. They just don't know. It, it, so, it, 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 so, so, so uh, there are the um, 2017 Remainers who voted Labour and, and sort of, you know, were lending Labour their vote at that election that seem to still be at this stage prepared to lend it to them because they're so worried about Johnson. And similarly, on the other side, you've got the Tory Remainers who are terrified of Corbyn and, and sticking with the Conservatives. Uh, anecdotally, I, 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 my mother is standing uh, for the Conservatives. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's a family so, tradition. <laughs> so, uh, and she's here tonight. But all jokes, she said the other day, she's like, oh God, if I get voted in and I win before Christmas, I'll have voted on the withdrawal agreement uh, and, and then have to come to Christmas dinner. And I was like, yeah, that will, that will not be good. For, that will not be a good uh, Christmas Can dinner. Can we live stream this? She's, no, 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 people. but she's, you know, she's actually, my mum is a, is a, is a she's a, she raised to remain. She's not, she's not, she didn't have to sign a pledge saying, I'm not going to, I'm going to do no deal, any of that stuff, because actually she doesn't believe in that. But she was saying on the doorstep, uh, when she's in a Labour Leave constituency, She's talked to numerous uh, people, Labour, Labour people who were Labour all their life and voted Leave, and just say that Corbyn is, is um, he's not a patriot. He's not, that's, he's not, he doesn't like England. That's yeah. their sense. That's why they would now, for the first time, not vote Labour because of what he's doing. Whether they would, that means they then go to the Tories, I don't know. I fucking hope not, <laughs> for my sake. But, um, <laughs> but yes. That's interesting. Like, so your your mum has not had to sign the thing saying I will back the withdrawal agreement. Not as far as I, no, 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 no. Oh. Yes, no. She hasn't had because well, she, she would, uh, but no, no deal. She's not signed it. She's oh, not. Sorry. She's not had to pledge allegiance to no deal. Whatever, come what may. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. You yourself are one of those kind of pining lost Labour voters, aren't you? That wishes you could vote for the Labour Party, apart from the fact that you join the Conservatives, which we don't like to talk about in company. But, I still yeah. get the emails, actually, which is weird. I don't know. Anyway, that's by the by. Hello? Is it me you're looking for? Um, They're not you, great with GDPR, that's why. I keep getting emails that say, from Naomi Smith saying, are you ignoring me? And like, shit, what have I done? And then it turns out to be... <laughs> Just like, will you please vote tactically? I'm already doing it. Yeah, but you haven't clicked on the website from a previous email, which is why you got that email, Andrew. I'm like, Ooh. caught. Being cookied to death here. But Ingrid, 
back to you. I mean, what scrubbing away the whatever opinions we may have about Corbyn, what is the Labour policy offering? Kind of, how's it come across to you? You know, that free broadband, no tuition fees. We're going to re-rationalise the sun. You know, all kinds of I things. I mean, I'm less bothered about the sort of broadband and stuff like that. But I, as a whole, it is where I would like to go. Like the direction is the kind of direction I would like to go in. I don't think it's. I mean, it's, it's fairly radical, but it's it's not as radical. For example, it as in terms of public spending. It's not as radical as something like Germany or Italy or even or France. So it's not like crazy socialism gone mad. Um, so, so I think people have an idea that that's what Jeremy Corbyn is. He's yeah. like this crazy socialist. Actually, it's not. It's it's not even as 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 much as as other European countries. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, of all the manifestos, that's the one I I suppose uh, that's the one that appeals the most. It's like Dorian was saying in, in part one. It's like I sort of like this but I don't like it from you. How are we rating Labour's campaign so far, perhaps as distinct from its leader? Well, In I mean, uh, they're doing very well on social media now. So whichever agency they've now employed, it's brilliant. They've really turned it around. Their engagement levels are through the roof. They're, they're running an incredibly effective social media campaign at the moment. I think that we can give them for sure. Yeah. I think it's pretty much all we can give them. It, it, it's definitely true. Like, I've been really impressed by the stuff that they put out, but it's all I can... I mean, because I was even thinking about that speech he did after the terror attack where he comes out and he's like, it's all the fault of the Iraq war. And you're like, I'm sorry, you fucking what, mate? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I, I fucking marched against... I, I don't need any convincing the Iraq war was a terrible idea. But it was just that kind of classic thing of like, a thing has happened here that is bad. It tallies with something I said, fuck it, what, 15 years ago. Out I come and go for my classic old ideologue position it's a bit do park life isn't it It, yeah do park life oh god again and for my like and and also for my little tribe right it's not thinking about like well how do we get out it's basically just that kind of rigid fossilized ideological thinking incapable of seeing any kind of newness incapable of seeing anything that might have changed in any capacity and out it comes he's just it's like asking like a rock to perform shakespeare it just can't be done (laughs) You know, it's on air next week. That actually. I, I, I was campaigning in the northeast yesterday, um, and it, there were a lot of Labour voters answering the door and saying, "I voted Labour all my life. I think you are a brilliant MP, but he's a terrorist sympathiser. Look what happened in London on Friday. There is no way I'm doing it this time." And I, I, I heard that from dozens of people yesterday. Mm. Um, I mean, so it, it, it the, the hurts one, him. The one positive, I suppose, is that he's not going to win. That's all we've got. Outright, that's, no. No, outright. So that's all we've got to cling on to. Yeah. And you have to sort of persuade people that at least that's not going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to be a coalition government, so he will be neutered to a certain extent. He'll, he'd still be leader, which is obviously problematic, but uh, yeah. Tell Tory Remainers that it is safe to vote Lib Dem because they are not going to put Corbyn yeah. in a majority position in number 10. So Tory campaign then, how's it going? If campaign it be... If hiding the Prime Minister in a cupboard may be called a campaign. If going, Mark, Reese Mark never heard of it. I do not know the man. If, if vanishing literally everybody can be called a campaign, is it, is it actually the smart thing to do? Because from where they are, they've, oh, they've got it all to lose and nothing to gain by getting the shit kicked out of you by Andrew Neil. Are they doing, is their campaign, from a purely cynical Dominic Cummings with a turd on his head point of view... Are they doing the right thing? I mean, definitely, yeah. 
Like, obviously, from a tactical... But if you're in front, you're just, like, steady as she goes. That's your campaign. If you're in front, you do a steady as she goes campaign. That's basically what they do. So, of course, it makes tactical sense. It also makes tactical sense for him not to appear on Andrew Neil because probably the damage. I mean, it's touch and go. Because a few days of going, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? Can eventually add up to something as damaging as the clips of him doing it. But you look at him on Mar, right? It's not like, you know, I'm so emotionally traumatised by this experience that I haven't been able to move on from it in any way. That's absolutely not that. And you were savagely hungover while watching it, presumably. Fuck, man. I can't. I just can't express. <laughs> you were just... It was, it was like the mathematics of it. You're just like, the, like... Mathematically, this is, like, the worst way to spend a Sunday morning. <laughs> like, perfect. And... So it's this December... It's basically it's the dissembling. How does he do it? Like, it's just, he just talked at the blather. It's just this blather that's just been, like, vomiting. Like, it's just shitting out of his mouth, and it's just fucking all over you. And he, so it's just constant. And then the Mar, so you're watching Mar, and you think, well, how does he do it? And what Mar is used to is getting a major political interview and asking them about eight different policy areas, hoping that you'll hit on a news line. And you hit on a news line early on Sunday, and it will carry you right through Sunday. So basically, you're making news all day long. And he tries to do the brochures and he just, you're letting him off the hook all the time. Like, why is it, you know, when he gives him this article, the article that he read out, the quotes that he read out on um, Islam were unbelievably fucking damaging. Like, in any other capacity, unbelievably damaging. All Boris Johnson says is, well, I mean, people will take things that I've written out of context. Although, he doesn't even fucking say that. He's like, people will take things that I've written and quote them back at me. And you're like, yeah, that, that is precisely How what they have people. just fucking yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, You've just described the situation that is happening the to you. The problem I have is that my actions have consequences and it's jolly <laughs> yeah. unfair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you can't possibly expect me to actually believe the shit that I write. Yeah. Um, and so he just does it. And of course, because Ma moves on, and the only time that he tried to stick on a point, it wasn't a question. It was a statement. You've been in power for 10 years. It wasn't a yes or a no. Do you actually, do you believe this about Islam? Do you believe this about Islam? Yeah. Do you believe this about Islam? So on that basis, we are starting to at least get a sense of the manner in which he evades questioning. So just to just cover you in shite, keep on moving on. The trick is, don't let him move on. That's the trick. Hook him down. But for that, you need a format. And at the moment, we haven't got the format because he won't do the fucking interview. Naomi, you, you discuss, you investigate rather uh, voters' preferences in some degree. Of, yes, and I agree. Um, I agree with Nick. Um, it's, it's some, I don't. <laughs> I didn't, and I don't. Clean hands. Um, you look at voters' preferences and ideas in, in, in some depth. Are you anywhere near getting to understand why a large number of people admire the very thing that lots of us despise about Boris Johnson? The worst things that he does that turns our stomachs. Um, Strengthen him. Well, I think it's important to say he isn't that popular. So, like, we shouldn't over-egg it. Um, the, the situation that we're in at the moment is that um, leavers want to believe him on Brexit. They want to believe that he will definitely, definitely take us out. Um, and then the sort of wavering people that definitely buy into... I, I'm just sick of this, I want it over with. They also want to believe that get Brexit done means get Brexit gone or doesn't mean another 10 years of all of this awfulness carrying on, um, with the exception of this podcast. Uh, everyone else <laughs> um, and so th th there is an element of um, as long as I believe you on the thing I want to believe you on, it doesn't matter to me that I don't believe you on the rest. Hmm. So he's sort of given a, a hall pass for the fact that 
those that are backing him because of Brexit know that, you know, he's probably, you know, less um, uh, believable on, on other issues, like, you know, not lowering taxes for the ultra-rich and things like that. Um, and they'll, they'll forgive him that because the thing that they want, they're prepared to believe him on. I have a theory that it, it that it's actually a feature, not a bug. That that his support see in him all the awful things he does. They think, yeah, I would do that if I was there. That's what I'd do. I'd show them. But, I'd make a bust out of wine yeah, boxes. I'd tell a big lie on the telly. But and isn't, go, isn't isn't the Leave problem the same as the Remain problem? They have to vote for him. Otherwise, what are they going to? They're not going to get Leave. They might hate. It's again a holding your nose question. You might have lots of leavers who dislike him as a man, but they have no choice. The Brexit Party is not going to be a party of governments. They have to vote for... Or just Boris simply Johnson. isn't standing in their seat. No, exactly. And, and, and the same with Remainers. We have to... It's either Corbyn or, or Lib Dems if you want to stop Brexit. So yeah. I think we're all being And in the asked, majority of seats, it's not the Lib Dems. Yeah. And a, yeah. So we're all being asked to do things that we probably don't necessarily want to do, I think. Part one discussed the issues with the Lib Dem campaign in, in, in some depth. So let's just rate it quickly. We're rating it from the Lib Dems. Lib Dem, Lib Dem campaign. campaign. I mean, it's been three out of ten so far. <laughs> I think there's this shift, right, where the Lib Dems are saying, actually, our core thing is we can help restrain Boris Johnson. That's a good message for them right now. And to stick on that, rather than the manner in which they've been conducting it so far, I think could go, at, you know, soar all the way up to the heights of five or six. Okay. <laughs> Naomi, as a, as, a, as, a, as a tribal Lib Dem, what would you have done if you were in charge? Bodicea of breaking Brexit. What, Say, what's the question? If you were in charge, if I was in charge. Campaign, what would you have done? Apart from parade the, you know, the flayed skin of Nick Clegg around the <laughs> city of the British. Well, yeah, okay, okay. not like him okay. anymore. So there's the serious point, which is um, atoned properly for coalition early on. You know, a proper, decent apology. Wrong, wrong to do it shouldn't have done it, actually regret it and mean it. Mm. Um, I think I've spoken about this on you know, previous shows as well. Revoke would have worked well when the party was at 8%. It was probably not the wisest move to pivot to that in the autumn this year when they were at 20%. Um, but having done it, to commit with total passion about it, um, rather than a sort of, oh, well, you know, uh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. It, it, it just, it's, it's not come across with conviction. So to just make the bloody, you know, dig in on it, right? You've gone for revoke. Tell us why the fuck it's brilliant and why, yeah. you know, EU is fantastic and the current deal that we've got with them is so much better than any bullshit anyone else is going to come back with. Um, and, and mean it and be proud about it. Working with this lot. And not put your face on the side of a bus and not make it all about you and not try and tap into a cult of personality that didn't exist and wasn't there. You can't sort of create it out of nothing. You'll be amazed to learn that we've, we've overrun enormously, as we always do on these things. So we're going to do big ideas quickly before we, because Dorian's lurking with his quiz questions. Uh, I've asked everybody to come in with a bit. We're coming to the end of the decade, and it's been a pretty dismal decade, I think. It's been a... Not like the 90s, it was great, because I invented Britpop. Um, it's been awful, <laughs> really bad. Uh, so, uh, you know, we promised to get you some big ideas, and, we, and we've got them. We've let circumstances, populism, and a national nervous breakdown ruin this decade. How can we take back control in the next one and shape that decade? Um, Ingrid, what's your big idea for the 2020s? Okay. Yours is really good. Well, so lots of it's <laughs> notes. I'll be very quick. Um, so I, uh, my, my idea was... was uh, uh, compulsory uh, civics lessons in schools. 
Um, and by that... It's a hit. Um, uh, so where are we now in terms of uh, what actually gets taught at schools um, at the moment? It's like, I think, it seems to be like an hour a week or every other week or every few weeks, uh, sort of generally in the area of politics, um, sort of disguised as part of a different subject. Uh, what, you know, like it was general studies in my day and... PSC, it was really it? boring also in my day. Magna um, Carta, the unstoppable sex machine. But you know. and what it's, I, I think what it's called. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave that there. Um, <laughs> what it's called now, I believe, uh, all any discussion about politics um, comes under something called uh, British values. Um, I don't know if anyone's got children. Uh, this was introduced by, what a surprise, Michael Gove, um, as part of the, his prevent a scheme to sort of teach, go, go to schools and teach everyone what the British values are, which apparently are only British and, and no, no other country in the world has them, um, which are democracy, rule of law. They don't have um, that anywhere else. We invented it. Um, individual liberty and mutual respect and tolerance for those with different faiths and beliefs, which... Smacks, it smacks, it's quite ironic. I feel like that's come, that, that's what we're teaching children in schools at the moment with the current government. Anyway, so, uh, my, here we go, notes. Uh, so, would it, yeah, how would you do it? Do, is it compulsory? Should it be compulsory? I think maybe yes, in the same way that history or, yes. or grammar is compulsory. It's important that we know the fundamental uh, basics of how society works. Um, where do you introduce it? Primary school? Should six year olds? I mean, six-year-olds probably don't need to know, you know, a sec- what a second reading is, or, or, uh, you know, it's Black S- Rod. S- S- they S- do. He's S- like S- Black Panther. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I sort of wish I had known at six, um, but they probably need to know who the prime minister is and and what uh, what he does and what party stands for. Um, but sec- at secondary school, I believe in Scotland it's much better, and they have something called modern studies, which actually is compulsory, and it's and it's I think it is properly you have to study, and they talk about English and Scottish UK politics. Um, and it just strikes me that these are really important tools. And it's not just sitting in a classroom saying, this is what a constituency boundary looks like and, you know, all that stuff. It's like, what is activism? Uh, or, or critical thinking around politics. So how does the media influence how we see politics? You know, weighing up debates, the right and wrong of an argument. So it's not blind uh, parroting of, of, of lines, party lines. Um, so, yes... Well, I think considering we've conducted a five-year... We've conducted a five-year experiment in miseducating people and cynics. Jolly good ideas. Can, can it be yeah. retrospective as well? So, well, like, we all have to do it. We all should just do it. I have kids. learned so much in the last two years. Well, I, I had no idea. Orange. I don't know about people in this room. Like, I had no idea about general, really, truly, how things work on a nitty on a granular level of politics. And um, I just think everyone should be given the tools to understand because then they couldn't hoodwink us because it serves, the, it serves the ruling class to sort of have people be slightly ignorant about these things because they're the ones it normally keeps in power, I think. I think sold. Gavel. <laughs> Ian, your big idea. Quick, because Jordan's got questions. Good questions. What's your big idea for 20, um, 2020s? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really think of anything more important, really, than just having a functioning movement to defend immigrants. Yeah. We're... So, like, we're a bit, we're a bit lost at the moment. Um, we've had about three years where the subject of free movement hasn't really been discussed very much. And you notice that we kind of, um, the support was going up in the polls, but we kind of did fuck all with it. So then when the attacks start up again now, and they've started up in this election, Matt Hancock suggesting that immigrants are a strain on schools, 
putting out economic information that only shows the cost, but not showing any of the economic contribution of immigrants. Um, coming out and saying that, you know, this, this thing about health tourism fucking doesn't exist. Anyone that says it is a complete c um, <laughs> we, we haven't built up the defense. And the defense comes partly from a positive and a negative campaign. The positive campaign has not been effective. And there are some people in the immigration movement who are trying to do this. But they haven't really, we haven't really got there yet. Yeah. So and that requires PR work, like proper professional PR work, getting good stories about immigration in the press all the time, rolling. And it also is about questioning the shit that we see all the time that we've started to fucking accept. Like we accept detention centers. Detention, no one ever fucking talks about these things. And there are people that are put in detention centers. They are there right now. They're on indeterminate sentences for crimes that were never committed in the first place. There is no crime. They have not been accused of any crime. They're not told when they will get out. It could be any amount of time. Some people were there for months. Some people were there for years. They just sit there. This fucking dirty stain on our reputation that we just never talk about because we're too polite around the dinner table. We see the same with um, spousal visas set at £18,600 where the British state separates British families basically where kids grow up without their parents because their British parent doesn't earn enough money to have them yeah. living with them. And what we are about to see over the next few years, if Brexit happens, is millions of people put on a system where eventually they're going to fall off the other side of it. And when they fall out the other side, and the government's been very clear that it's going to be strict on the deadline for when the settled status scheme for EU migrants stops working, when they fall out the other side, they will be undocumented migrants. And we know how this country treats undocumented migrants. We are going to have to fucking show our commitment to EU migrants over the next few years. And to do that, we need the commitment. I have a feeling this subject will return time and again. Nomi, what's your big idea? Well, I thought you'd never ask, Andrew. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to talk about social engineering um, and why I think it's really important because I think we need to create the next generation of Remainers. And to my mind, I think that that means, and this isn't just because um, Nick Clegg sent his children to them, but um, I think that means stopping state-funded faith schools from discriminating in their admissions policy. Mm. So this is slightly geeky and technical, but bear with me. Um, State-funded faith schools that are allowed to discriminate on the basis of faith don't just cause ethnic segregation, but because faith schools are usually um, exploited by time-rich, middle-class people, we've all heard the phrase, on your knees to avoid school fees, um, they also create huge, huge, <laughs> huge socioeconomic uh, segregation in the school system. And in volume terms, because there are so many more state-funded faith schools than there are grammar schools, actually it's the, the, the state-funded faith schools um, that, that, that have the far greater impact on socioeconomic um, division between children. Um, and we just haven't even come close to winning the war on this. Um, the Lib Dems were really good on it from a policy perspective in their uh, 2010 and 2015 manifestos, but it was absent completely from their 2017 and now again their 2019 manifestos, so they appear to be going backwards on this. Um, in 2016, you might remember that Labour had a popular education, not segregation slogan, and I got really excited about that and thought, brilliant, they get it. No, no, they were just talking about grammar schools, they weren't talking about 
faith schools at all. And, and you'll know that there's been this, this recent issue um, with the protests about LGBT mm. education outside, um, is it the Anderson Park School in, in Birmingham that's kind of brought all of this into more stark focus in the media. But in short, I think it would be bloody absurd, although it's probably going to fucking happen under Boris, um, to turn patients away at A&E because of their religion or to discriminate against access to social housing based on the place of worship or lack of place of worship that you go to. So we've got to end the discrimination in schools. And more than a third of state-funded schools are faith-based. So this is a huge, huge, huge number of schools that are allowed to discriminate in their admissions on the basis of faith. I grew up in Northern Ireland. Everyone pretty much there has a sectarian education. It's almost impossible to go to a school that is cross-faith. And and I just think that uniting children at an early age and bringing them together and letting them form those bonds that transcend socioeconomic and ethnic backgrounds and, and religious backgrounds means that they will cement relationships and bonds that will last them through a lifetime um, and I think really could be the, the, the first step in building that next generation uh, of Remainers that we so desperately bloody need. Well, I could tell you about my, my big idea about uh, deconstructing and saving the Labour Party by a merciless programme of entryism from committed young generations and kids who've been <laughs> let down by their elders. But that's a story for another time, because we've got Dorian with questions. Dorian, are you there? Hello, hello. Quiz questions. Sorry, hey. keep Is this waiting. Working? Yes. It's quiz time. Sorry, before we start, right. what score did that team actually get? I feel like you were over They got eight. Them. Did we? I yeah. feel like you were over Wow, nurses. ten. Really? Did <laughs> eight we? out of shitloads. Okay, anyway... Um, since Nigel Farage stepped down as UKIP leader mm. in 2016, oh, fuck. I really don't know the answer. UKIP to have had have been gifted with five leaders, only one of whom is still a member of UKIP. <laughs> Three of them have left the party, and one has been suspended. Who is the plucky loyalist? Dick Brown. If Pam you want, I can give you UKIP. the names of the leaders if you okay. need them. Help. Please do. Dick Brown. Okay. Who could forget? <laughs> I didn't even need to ask saying. that, but I wanted to fucking say it out loud. This is, this is the five gold rings of UKIP leaders. <laughs> five gold ring pieces. Yes. <laughs> Diane James. Paul Nuttall. Hey. Henry Bolton. No. And his exciting Shit. love life. Gerard Batten. Dick Brain. Who is still a member of UKIP? I thought you said Gerard Batten, Dick Brain, then. That's <laughs> qualifier. Bolton isn't, because he set up his own thing and stood as an independent, so it's is not Is it Gerard him. Batten? Is Dick Brain? I thought well, just keep saying what, Dick Brain. Yeah. Not, all, not all's in space now. Yeah. <laughs> Meeting the monolith on the rings of Saturn, so it's not him. Uh, who's the first one? Sorry, just say two. We'll just go with Dick Brain. Let's go with Dick Brain. D- Dick Brain. All the three together. One, two, three. One, two, three. Dick, Dick Brain. Brain. No, Dick Brain has been suspended for misuse of data. It's, oh! it's Gerard Batten. Hey! <laughs> okay. Okay. Which band? This is a music one because that matters too. Which band ended their set at Glastonbury in 2016, the day after the referendum result, by playing a speech from the 1975 referendum over an image of an EU flag? Is it All Chemical right. Brothers? 2016. I was just oh, swearing. I forgot God, we have a professional music yeah, yeah, yeah. journalist. Romaniacs listeners. It wasn't the Lightning Seeds. It wasn't the Lightning Seeds. Wasn't it? There was an amazing... Uh, was 1966? They're from not London. No. They're That's from not clue. London. <laughs> Is it the Beatles? Um, 
I think it's the Chemical Brothers. Yeah, right, Chemical Brothers. Chemical Brothers. No, it's New Order. Fuck New oh, Order. Order. And which band at this year's Andrew, Glastonbury... you let us down, man. Really bad. ...also screamed an EU flag while singing a song with the lyric, We'll be the proud Remainers. Is it the Chemical Brothers? <laughs> no. Um, is Other it, bands are available. I can't try to remember who was on this year. Is it, is it 1975? No, it's Bastille. Okay, keep going. We've lost. Keep going. I can't, I can't no, they're not. It's very moved. I was, moved. I was moved. For half a point each, which constituencies... So you've got zero points. Yeah. Come and stand here. Come For half stand, a point stand, each, stand, which, remain, zero which points. constituencies <laughs> do the following ERG all-stars represent? Oh, Mog. North East Somerset. Yes. Steve Baker. Brexit, hard man Steve Baker. The hard man of Brexit. It's a very hard constituency. Like you got this. You got this, girl. You got it. I believe in you. I believe in you. Bastardston upon Rotterdam. I don't know. Okay. okay. Winchester. Wickham. Oh, very hard. That was close. Suella like, Braverman. No. <laughs> Suella Braverman. Oh, uh, a brave by nature. Uh, a clue. Little clue. It's in England. <laughs> Is it in London? No. I'll give you... This is a very fair question. It's a braver man. It's a very uh, fair, fair question. Fair. Let me see. Uh, Scarborough. Fair. 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 Don't know. Fair. Fairum. Fairum. Oh. Okay, and Frank Mansoir. <laughs> you must know that. I don't... I don't how do we not know what constituency he runs? How is that possible? What is it? It's a constituency yeah. very close to Ingrid. Bring him in. Completely unprompted. Nice. So that's half a point to the audience. <laughs> so basically, um, Dorian's questions are too hard. Which of the ten following Remainer MPs did not vote to trigger Article 50 on the third reading in March 2017? Okay, two of one, them. Two, of them. two point each. So two okay. out of how many? Ten. Out of ten. Which two did not vote? Heidi Allen, Munner, Dominic Grieve, Angela Eagle. Maria Eagle, Bridget Philipson, Anna Subri, Luciana Berger, Wes Streeting, and Jess Phillips. Who were the say no to Article Anna. 50 I think hardcore? Anna, I think Anna might have been one of them. Is it the streets as Strawberry. well? The streets not do it. The streeting. I feel like you said you could lock down your aerial. I feel like you said on the show, mm, Grieve? Grieve would have. Yeah, I think he I did. think Grieve did, wouldn't he? These are good questions, <laughs> and I fucking hate you right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's good, right? Because we're, we're, it's educational. What were the first? Make you think. What were the first two? (laughs) Sorry, this is so so exciting, right? Live. Subri and who? Heidi Allen, Chukramuna, Dominic Grieve, Angela Eagle, Maria Eagle, the Eagle Sisters, Bridget Phillipson, Anna Subri, Luciana Berger, Wes Streeting, Jess Phillips. I'm going to go with Maria Eagle. I don't know. She's the one that Phillips. We're going to go with Wes. We're going to go with Wes and Maria. Wes and Maria Eagle. Maria Eagle is one of them. Oh. The other one is Luciana Berger. So that's a commanding one and a half points we've got. Uh, No, you've got... No, two. Two. I'm going to give you two. All right. Finally, all these quotes are taken from Led by Donkeys billboards as featured in their excellent new book. But who said them? Shout out to Ben, by the way. I will give you the dates for half a point each. There's a bonus point if you get them all. Okay. Right, from 2013, I'm going to nail my colours to the mast here. I don't think the UK should leave the EU. Very, uh, very clear. Johnson. Could not be clearer on their opposition to leaving the EU. Boris Johnson. Oh, oh clear, okay. though. Theresa May. 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 Theresa May. Theresa May. Oh, no, so that wasn't a clue. Oh. 
<laughs> Barry Clearasil. I'll give you a clue then. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> Andrea Ledsom. Very clear. Another point to the audience. <laughs> okay. Getting out of the UK can be quick and easy. The UK holds most of the cards in any negotiation. Oh, David, David Davis. No. Liam Fox. John Redwood. Oh, John Redwood. I thought it was David Davis. To be fair, oh, said some loads of them said all the cards. Right, there you go. Ah. Uh, nobody, contra John Redwood, nobody has ever said the negotiation would be straightforward and simple. David Davis? I know it just seems like I'm saying the same words again and Liam, again. Liam like, Fox, maybe? Maybe Liam. Oh, Liam Fox. Liam Fox? Um, Foxy? Foxy? Foxy. Foxy. Foxy Noxy? Foxy Noxy. That's no, but this one, no, I'll give you a clue, though. It's not Liam Fox, but this one is politician is very well known because he fox things up all the time. Grayling, Grayling. Ailing Grayling. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> finally, finally, I'm reaching the point of thinking we should have a second referendum. Nigel Farage. No, that was, um, was it? Was it? It was Farage. Yeah, I think it was Farage. Yeah, it was Nigel yeah, Farage, yes. Great. Oh, thank fucking Christ. <laughs> a grand total of three and a half points. I no, I've always... Thank you for playing. That's been very generous. Thank you, Dorian. Well, we have come to the end of the show, somewhere at the end of my script here. Um, finally, it's our... All of our turns to answer some difficult questions from you lot. Um, thank you to panel two. That's me, Ian, Nomi and Ingrid. Thank you for listening to us fail to answer those questions. <laughs> thank you to panel one, who are going to be quite out shortly. Special shout out to our producers, Alex Reese and Sophie Black, and also to Martin Botos, <laughs> the George Soros of Romaniacs, wherever he may be. Now, may I call all of the panels to the stage who's going to ask some audience questions. We've got everybody except Nina, who's had to go home to the baby. Oh. Rest of panel, Dorian, Alex. Roz, Alex, <laughs> Alex, where are you? <laughs> They're here, they're here, they're here. Come on, Yay! come on stage, there welcome we on stage. Whoop, 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 whoop. It's the end of Avengers Endgame. Sit, sit on my lap, Alex, I said Alex, <laughs> I said Alex. So the radio mic is here. Dorian, who's set the radio mic? Um, other Alex is going to pass it around in the crowd. So for the audience. Yes, please. Other Alex is, here's other Alex. <laughs> here comes other Alex. Running gazelle-like. Which so MT is... Yeah. So please raise your hand if you have a question for the entire panel of Romaniacs. There's a man here that had his hand up from the start. <laughs> I think he just wants to get to the bathroom. Um, the answer is 11 points is a very good cushion at this stage of the season. It certainly is. Yeah. Okay. Your question, sir. Is that a football thing? Did you just do a football thing? <laughs> I did a football thing last week. I'm sorry, no. Yes, I'm sorry, we trusted you with the microphone. You did a football. <laughs> you know, Ian's very sensitive. He doesn't understand it. I thought he meant a pole lead. I was like, there's no way it's still that at 11 points. So just asking a question about the media's coverage in 2019 on Brexit and the ability to scrutinise uh, politicians. I would grade it a D plus. Where would you grade it on between A to F? And, and personally, thank you for sticking up for immigrants, considering what I've been through the last few years. I like German immigrants that manage football teams. That's the immigrants <laughs> that I like. Anyway. I mean, media performance has not been great. Um, there are counterexamples. So I think the stuff 
within the so within the BBC, which has been sort of most egregious in some of the errors that it's been that it's made. But I think if you're looking at the stuff that's coming out from Emily Maitlis, um, it's very very good. Actually, Michelle Hussein's really improved things on the Today program. Um, it, it's it's pretty much all it's it's all the women. Yeah, there's no men doing anything yeah, useful at the BBC. Barnett there's as lots well. of but prominent yeah. women who are doing really really good work at the BBC. And there's some, there's some good stuff happening on the internet. I mean, you'll find very efficient blog posts showing what the reality of policy situations are. In fact, they're so good sometimes that the Prime Minister will literally copy them into his Twitter feed. <laughs> it is ultimately, it's a D. But there are, I have to say, conversations between journalists, even some you wouldn't expect, some of them quite mainstream, where they are starting to realise... There is an assault. That Michael Gove interview with Channel 4 the other day, where he basically accused the Channel 4 journalist of being in a conspiracy with Labour for, for asking him questions about literally the number of hospitals that he was planning on building. Does it, there are conversations where journalists are starting to realize we're going to have to hold fast with these motherfuckers if we are going to be able to make this work. And I think that there are some reasons for hopefulness that that D could go up to a C. Merry Christmas. Could I? Can I just add that one thing that really worries me about this election campaign is the, uh, the people, a lot of people crossing the line between criticising people very validly for their failures to perhaps spotlight policy, to push politicians as hard as they like, to a, to a real sense that journalists are acting in bad faith and that they have a bias and that there is a kind of, a, you know, there is, a, there is an assumption. Some of the things that are said about the BBC where it just seems to be a given among many people I see on Twitter... That is all, they're basically working for the Tory party. And I do worry that among the many things that this election and this whole period in our history has damaged will be any faith in the media. In the media, they can make mistakes and they can have sort of inherent biases that they need to address. But the idea that it's, that it's fully a stitch-up, I think, is really corrosive. Yeah, the, the, all I would just say is that, uh, though, as somebody that's been um, the subject of a national newspaper posting stuff that is completely untrue and is easy to fact check as not being true. Um, it is, you know, it is bad. And I, I, I don't think it would be fair to not call out a lot of it. Um, and I think a D is probably where I would rate it. And I don't think we can just say the broadcasters are bad and print is great or that all broadcasters need to be given a bit of leniency because it's never as bad as the conspiracy theorists are saying. It, it, it is pretty brutal out there. And I think that there is, um, and this is probably a longer uh, issue in terms of, you know, the decimation of local, local, local papers means that journalists don't have the same training ground in the same way they used to. And the, you know, budget constraints on a lot of the newspapers, meaning that sub-editors aren't there and research teams aren't there and, uh, you know, there just isn't the investigative journalism quality that there was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the politicians are the most guilty, but I think the media is letting our democracy down pretty badly at the moment as well, but I don't know that it's necessarily all of their fault given the fact that there just isn't the money for them to be doing their jobs as well as they should be or used to be able to. We're trying to get some questions over there. Alex is running gazelle. Looky, look at him. Have to go. Born free <laughs> to the person there in the orange coat there, or sort of. Is this the one? Okay, cool. Yes, yeah, there you go. Yeah, sorry. The Lib well, Dem I don't know what the question is. Is that? Yeah, so the, the Lib Dem coat. Sorry. Um, I'm taking the last two weeks off work so I can campaign for the Lib Dems in a little constituency called Eastleigh, which is between Southampton and Winchester. It 
doesn't have the same cachet as Lucina Burgos or Donald Greaves, so we can't get Hugh Grant to come to us to campaign. <laughs> so this is an invitation to any of the panel and also, <laughs> also any of the audience, please come to us and help campaign for the Lib Dems to get rid of the Tories out of Eastleigh. So please come to Best us. Best of luck. Yeah. Here, here. That was more of a statement than a question. Um, can we get a question over here? Uh, right behind you. There you go. Don't just That's say Sarah Wollaston. Hello. You look oh, like Sarah Wollaston from up here. Ah. Well, thanks. Um, so there, there are three main tactical voting websites that I'm looking at. All of them uh, have different recommendations for my constituency, Kensington. How am I going to decide who to vote for? I think this is one for That's Red probably Navy. one for me, isn't yeah. it? Um, <laughs> have we okay, got so that first, the good news is we, we looked at this again this morning um, and there are hardly any seats where there is now divergence between um, getvoting.org and the People's Vote campaigns one. So there is very, 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 very close alignment there. Um, Gina Miller's site is the slight outlier at the moment and she's updating almost every day, so that may come in. Um, Kensington is a really, really tough seat. It's the one that has caused me the most grief, um, and the, the one that you know we've been um, attacked for. Um, so what I'm doing this week, so we're going to update Get Voting again next week just before polling day with the most up-to-date, last-minute um, recommendations that we can do based on new MRP, and I'm oversampling in Kensington to try and get a larger sample size there to really figure out what's going on because there have been some pretty wildly different um, numbers coming back from the individual seat poll that has been done there versus the various different MRPs. So I'm sorry about that. The good news is that there is ever closer alignment between the tactical voting sites um, and, and do check back what, what we're recommending before polling day because I will try and get you the most accurate picture of it. But look, it was the one that nobody saw going Labour in 2017 apart from those that were you know, doing MRP at the time and being told that they were wrong. Um, it, it is just an incredibly difficult seat. It's probably one of the most pro-Remain seats in the country. It's incredibly diverse in terms of its economic income disparities. I'm sure you know all of this. I'm telling the rest of the audience who may not know Kensington quite so well. You've got the southern bit, which is full of people that are incredibly wealthy and love private schools and baguettes. And then you've got the, the northern bit where, um, you know, they may be more tempted to vote Labour, but are, you know, very, very concerned about um, other issues. So wait and see. And I'm sorry. And I know the frustration. And, and believe me, no one feels it more acutely than me. But do check back. That's, I think we've got time for maybe three more. And let's, let's make sure we get some for Roz, Ingrid and Alex, because just because we're sitting here with the microphones, doesn't mean you get the answer. Over here. Hello. Oh. Hello. 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 Very oh, I sound like the guy in the cinema at the beginning, you know. Hello. <laughs> Turn your phones off. Um, a question uh, about young people in this election. Um, in 2017, there was the, obviously the myth of the so-called youth quake. Is 2019 the year of the youth quake? Is 2019 going to hinge on the youth turnout or not? Roz and Ingrid, I feel this is one for you because you've got a microphone between I mean, you. I definitely, I, I don't know. I don't fucking know is the answer to that. Yeah, I I, um, so I'll hand it over to Roz. <laughs> Cheers, Ingrid. Well, being, you know, not quite that young. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's like it's likely to be 
is more of a more of a factor than it was in 2017. Uh, I certainly hope it is, and I think what you've seen since 2017 is a bigger generational divide opening up. You know, we hear more and more about OK Boomer. We hear all about more and more about the gulf between the generations and their experience of austerity in particular and their experience of lack of housing and all the other things. So I think as that becomes more concrete, I think p young people increasingly feel they are... They, they have a duty to vote in a way that perhaps they didn't feel before. Now, what counts against that is the don't knows as we've all been hearing about, um, and the confusion. But I think young people are less likely, and I may be wrong here, and perhaps Naomi can pick me up on it, to be don't, don't knows, because they tend to be more idealistic, um, because they tend to be surer about the, about the views they, they hold and more, less, less likely, perhaps, to vote tactically. And so that's why I think it will be a youth election, but you should not necessarily expect young people to vote tactically, particularly if they're supporters of the Greens. Um, I think the, um, the, 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 drive, the, the drive for the climate movement in particular is going to make it very hard for them to compromise their beliefs. But, you know, I may, I may be entirely wrong about that. Penultimate question. The gazelle-like. There you go. There you go. Let's stop saying gazelle. <laughs> so um, this is Romaniac, so we'd all kind of hope that there's some way that we can remain in the United Kingdom, but... I think we're going to do that. Uh, Actually, we sorry, might not in, even in do that. Union. But... I, I, I'm, I'm hoping there's some way it can remain in the United Kingdom, <laughs> if, if that's any it, help. It, it seems that the, 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 the view of the panel is the only hope is some kind of coalition or and or hung parliament or something like that we haven't heard anything at all about what our neighbors in the ec would take to the suggestion that the cans kick down the road by another six to eight months if we're ruling out the prospect that there's going to be some decisive vote in favor of remain which sadly seems likely what does the panel think about what the view is going to be across the pond alex this is for you um it's difficult at the moment. I mean, there's no point lying to ourselves, especially with the change of guard in Brussels, because all the key positions have changed. I mean, Donald Tusk was such a key ally for the Remain movement. Um, and, and, the new people, and the new people coming in will not so want... <laughs> the new people coming in me. will not oh. want Brexit hanging around their necks like a fucking albatross. But... Having said that, if there were a coalition government that pushed for a second referendum, they would grab at it with both hands. If there were a chance that all this could actually go away because, you know, an agreement is not getting Brexit done, as we all know in this room, there's years and years of hard negotiations to come. So if there were an opportunity for a second referendum, they would absolutely make the space and time for us to do that. There's no doubt in my mind. All right. Final question. There's someone over there. Cool. Do you want me to... Uh, can I run across the stage? Is that allowed? Yeah, come on. Okay, okay, here we go. Ladies I and gentlemen, Alex. Hey! I do think we always discriminate against the people that are right in the middle of the and middle. Well, yeah. it's their own fault for sitting in the middle. Okay. <laughs> Centrists. <laughs> 
as Chinder and Marie centrists. <laughs> Corner shop, new album out next year. Yes. Thanks, Alex. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Who are you? You're bad. Do I um, know you? In the in the in the three pages of A4 that is the Tory uh, the Tory um, uh, manifesto, there are references to um, uh, the rebalancing of the uh, powers between the executive and judiciary. Um, how sinister does the panel find these references? <laughs> Some good sinister noises there. Thank you for that. It's great. Yeah, yeah, and then for good reason because it looks quite fucking. Sinister voice. It doesn't look good. Um, there is. There's a reference to that. There's also a reference. Um, we to call it the Gina Miller clause. Right, yeah. that'd be a good name for it. Yeah, exactly. Let's make sure that shit doesn't happen again. Um, there's a reference to the uh, European Convention of Human Rights. Uh, well, there's a reference to the Human Rights Act, which, which puts it into British law. There's also a reference to judicial review, which the Tories already tried to sabotage, but they put uh, Chris Groening in charge of it, so he fucked it. <laughs> um, he actually literally fucked it in real time because he revealed the ministerial intention behind it in court. There, sorry, I beg your pardon, in Parliament, thereby neutralising their own capacity to defend it in court. So he literally, you could watch him fuck it <laughs> in real time. You, it actually, it was great. Um, and they did the same. So they put Dominic uh, Raab and Michael Gove in 2015 in charge of trying to destroy the Human Rights Act. It's really powerful stuff. I mean, it's the first time when you look at the Strasbourg Court, it's the first time that the individual has protections against the state which do not rely on the state enforcing them. You can step outside to have something outside of the state that you live in protecting your rights. So, of course, they want to destroy it. For the same reason they want to destroy judicial review, because it allows the individual to take ministers to court, to hold them to account in court. And it's the same reason that the stuff they allude to about constitutional change looks very troubling indeed, given the track record of these guys, given their attacks on the courts, their attacks on parliament, their attacks on the free press. So yeah, Brexit is one thing. That's what we're fighting right now. If we lose that fight, and if Boris Johnson comes into power, we're going to lose it for now. We're going to have a whole series of other battles that we're going to be taking on. Because you're talking about the fundamental way that this country is governed. If he wins, that's what the next five years are going to be about. So I hope, you know, we've all got fucking stamina, man, because Jesus God, we're going to need it. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed our cheerful Christmas edition <laughs> of Romaniacs. Thank you all for coming out. I'm doing the Nick Fury speech. There was a time when it became necessary to bring together a group of extraordinary individuals to fight the battles, though we couldn't. Ladies and gentlemen, these are your Romaniacs. And you are our Romaniacs. Happy Christmas. We hope to see you at the next one, the 17th. Keep on keeping on. We're not going to stop, and you're not either. Thank you, and good night.